This week in KFA Land, Brown Shoefet Demolition Project begins. January snow and cold gives way to February warmth. Loretta School Board approves SAVE project contract. KMA Land residents mourn Bill Northeast passing. Red Oak Housing Subdivision clears another hurdle. And AA Bill still alive at the State House. I'm Mike Peterson. Looking around KMA Land these days, you can hardly tell any sign of a rough winter. Warmer temperatures coupled with much-needed rainfall combined for a major meltdown across the region, and much of the snowfall from the January winter storms disappeared. But one side of winter's fury remained in Shenandoah, and this week crews began dismantling a portion of a building damaged during one of the snowstorms. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen this week asked for the public's cooperation during demolition of a portion of Brown Shoe Fit's corporate offices at 111 North Sycamore Street. McQueen tells KMA News a section of the building collapsed from heavy snow from the January 12th snowstorm, one of two such events hitting KMA land that week. It appears that uh, you know the heavy snowfall on there caused the roof to collapse uh, to the inside of the building. At the time, you know, the uh, crew's been down here for any asbestos that might be in the building, and they've brought the equipment in to just start tearing that, the uh, Sheridan side and the Sycamore. So they're in the process right now just trying to get that block block walls down. Portions of Sycamore Street between Sheridan and Lowell Avenue remained blocked until further notice. In addition, McQueen says barricades are placed in front of Brown's building to assist demolition. Certain times when they've got to get their machinery moved and stuff, we're probably going to go ahead and barricade Sheridan off from uh, roughly uh, past the fire station, you know, down to the corner, just to keep cars from getting in there so we don't have any congestion and stuff when they're trying to get their work and you know work done. Uh, of course, Sycamore is going to remain blocked off in that whole block area there until they get done because of the uh, debris and the, and the chance of anything falling. McQueen asked the public like to avoid the area around downtown during the demolition, the mayor says it's unknown how long Sycamore between Sheridan and Lowell will be barricaded. Whatever happened to the winter of 2024 anyway? Katie Grove is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service's Valley, Nebraska office. Grove tells KMA News a sudden change in the jet stream ushered in relatively balmy conditions. Recently we've got just kind of a big trough that's set up across the western half of the U.S. that's drawing this southwesterly flow across the the middle of the country, and that's drawing the warmer air into the region. So that's really helped to kind of boost temperatures recently over the last few days. Though most of the January snowstorm's remnants have disappeared, Grove says it's questionable whether the melting snow is enough to help parched soil or low river levels. Luckily, it's been kind of a, a little bit of a slow melt with the snow over the last several days, which does help with the dryness that we've had recently, but it's still kind of yet to be seen if that really is going to help make a dent in the recent drought we've had. It's improved, but it's still there a little bit. Groves' ice jams have been a problem on some rivers in recent weeks. One ice jam last weekend caused flood damage at the Two Rivers State Park near Waterloo. Enjoy the warm-up while you can. Groves says the 8- to 14-day outlook calls for cooler-than-normal temperatures. She says any snowfall in that time frame is undetermined. Building projects remain a central focus in the Clarenda School District. By unanimous vote at a special meeting last Friday morning, the Clarenda School Board approved Rogie General Contracting of Lincoln as the general contractors for projects covered under the district's Secure and Advanced Vision for Education, or SAVE, dollars. Board members also approved the subcontractors for mechanical control work and soil testing in connection with the projects. Clarenda School Superintendent Jeff Privia reminded residents of the extensive list of projects 
in an interview with KMA News. We are going to build six new classrooms at the front of our current high school. That will be for junior high students, so they will have their own area. It will include some new office area with a safe and secure entrance that will be a lot better than what we currently have in light of the Perry situation. Like I've discussed before, these kind of things are very imperative for us to get moving on and get our community support to have these projects done. We're also going to have a junior high restroom area that will double as another restroom for high school sports and those kind of things in the evening. Privius's soil testing is expected in March with construction for all projects targeted for completion before the 2025-26 school year. The superintendent hopes the projects avoid weather disruptions and will cause as little inconvenience to students and staff as possible. We're hoping we get good weather and we can get started this spring and we're not too wet so we can get uh, all the underground stuff put in place first. Uh, which will create some, uh, might create a few headaches for us, especially this spring and the fall when we uh, have students coming to school. So we'll be readjusting how, what doors kids come in and those kind of things so we can get that project going and keep out as much of the uh, interference with that in the mornings and the afternoons as possible. School officials stress the SAVE projects are separate from those covered under the voted physical plan and equipment levy. Voters go to the polls on the PEPL or of $1.34 per thousand dollars valuation March 5th. Aprivia says proceeds in the PEPL would cover a wish list of projects, including those included in two bond issues rejected by voters in 2023. We're going to do a safe secure entrance at the elementary. That'll be very important for us to get past, obviously. We'll be redoing the media center and offices for a special education suite and create some more rooms there. And we'll be doing another $1.2 million worth of HVAC projects to redo that area for our air handler units and those kind of things up at the high school letter from 1968. School officials held the third in a series of open houses explaining the PEPL Wednesday night. One final open house takes place February 26th at 6.30 p.m. at the Clarenda High School cafeteria. Privius says the first two open houses held last week were sparsely attended. I think the community knows where we're at and what we need and uh you know, we're just hoping to get that vote through at 50%. Only a 50% majority is needed for the PEPL to pass. Privia says Clarenda is one of only 33 school districts in Iowa without the voted PEPL. KMA Land residents this week mourn the sudden passing of former Iowa Agriculture Secretary Bill Northey. Ethan Hewitt looks back at Northey's amazing career. Northey, a fourth-generation farmer from Spirit Lake in northwest Iowa, served as the top agriculture official in the state for 11 years from 2007 through 2018 before leaving for an administrative role in the U.S. Department of Agriculture. He served as the Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation from 2018 to 2021, overseeing the Farm Service Agency, Natural Resources Conservation Service, and the Risk Management Agency. Most recently, Northey was the CEO of the Agribusiness Association of Iowa, which announced its passing in a news release Monday. Well, in a December 2013 interview on KMA's then Dean and Don show, Northey outlined what he believed to be the most critical issues for the Ag Department in Iowa headed into 2024. We're going to keep working and ramping up the efforts in water quality. Um, a lot of work that uh, a lot of folks are doing that, that certainly in the department. Uh, we've got to continue to, to, to message about the good things that are happening in agriculture, encouraging innovation, encouraging young people uh, to come to agriculture. So I'm sure our plate 
will be full. Uh, certainly a lot of it around uh, protecting our natural resources out there and making sure that uh, regulations don't don't strangle that innovation within agriculture. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds in a statement said Northey was a great leader whose work ethic and passion for Iowa agriculture was unmatched. Other reactions came from U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, who stated Northey was a fierce advocate for the family farmer. Northey's successor and current Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Negg issued a statement saying Northey was a friend and mentor to so many people here in Iowa and across the country, including himself. Well, funeral services for Northey are pending, and Reynolds has issued all flags in the state at half-staff until after Northey's funeral. I'm Ethan Hewitt reporting. State Senator Tom Shipley worked with Northey during his final four years as Iowa Ag Secretary, and both individuals were heavily involved in agriculture. Shipley told KMA News that Northey was a strong advocate for agriculture and Iowa. I just talked to him a couple weeks ago. He was here at the Capitol, and uh, we had a good visit, and it certainly was a shock. But there was Bill loved Iowa. He loved Iowa people, and he loved Iowa agriculture. And he, there was no better representative than he was uh, for us that are in agriculture. The Iowa House and Senate observed moments of silence for Northey Tuesday morning. House Speaker Pat Grassley was elected to the House the same year Northey became the state's ag secretary. Grassley says Northey was the definition of a public servant. One of the things I've always appreciated about Bill is he's a guy that just got out of his tractor, came to do this job, and I think we could all agree very few people in this room, Republican or Democrat, have a have had a bad thing to say about him, um, which is truly what I would say is the mark of a public servant. Senator Dan Zumbach is a farmer from Ryan in Delaware County. Emotional during his remarks in the Senate floor, Zumbach says Northey was a fierce advocate for Iowa farmers. I'm heartbroken by the news of Bill Northey's death. He was genuine, a dear friend, and a mentor, and fiercely passionate about agriculture. Above all, Bill was a farmer. His common sense Rural mentality led his decisions, and Iowa agriculture is a better place because of his leadership. Northey recently served as the CEO of the Agribusiness Association of Iowa, which announced his passing Monday. Plans for a new housing subdivision in Red Oak cleared a major hurdle this week. By unanimous vote Monday evening, the Red Oak City Council accepted the Planning and Zoning Commission's recommendation for the preliminary plat for the Woodland Hills Subdivision 2. JEO Consulting Group's Isaac Kreikemeyer is the lead project manager for the development. Located just west of the original Woodland Hills subdivision near Ratliff Road and 4th Street, Kreikemeyer says the development's first phase entails the Studio One townhomes proposal for 33 market-rate rentable townhomes. Lots 1 through 7 are going to be kind of the first phase where we, the city of Red Oak has a developer ready to build uh, multiplexes. I think they're going to be a combination of fiveplexes, fourplexes, townhomes, um, so that's why you kind of see the bigger lots, one through seven, and then also eight and nine are a little bit bigger, too, for that second phase of multiplexes. Kreikemeyer says lots further to the north are smaller to accommodate either duplexes or single-family homes in the future. Plans call for using two of the three outlets to reduce the amount of runoff during rainfall events. A lot A is going to be used for uh, detention drainage purposes to limit our runoff. Post-construction, we're going to be implementing a lot of impervious surfaces, housing, roofs, streets. So to limit runoff, you need an area for stormwater to collect and then ultimately connect to the existing storm system. 
Same thing, same purpose with that lot B. That's just catching some of the drainage that's running behind on the rear side of the lots, uh, lots four through eight on the east side of Misty Lane, proposed Misty Lane. In terms of concrete work and the wide range of prices over the past year, Krakenmeyer says costs have been on the decline recently. Prices have kind of been going down of what we've seen. Okay. I think just to give you, a, like usually the high ticket numbers are pavement. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year or two ago, it used to be about like $80 to almost $90 per square yard, and now we're seeing numbers closer to like the $65 to $70 per square yard. Legislation making substantial changes in Iowa's area education agencies is still alive at the State House. Lawmakers in the Iowa Senate advanced the contentious AA bill out of a subcommittee last week. Governor Kim Reynolds is pushing for changes to the state's AAs, claiming the agencies are bloated and are to blame for low test scores for special education students. Opponents say the bill would eliminate essential services for schools and pit rural and urban districts against each other. State Senator Mark Costello addressed those concerns on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning. Whenever uh, it's an area where you work and then and you're doing that, they're concerned that, that their job is going to be eliminated, the services that they get would be eliminated. So I think that's what we're trying to address and make sure that we don't get rid of things that we need. And Costello says media services for schools is one AA function on the chopping block. The governor's amended proposal calls for repealing the property tax levy for AA media services. That area has changed so much in the last few years, and I think there's a need there that maybe isn't as great as it was. There's an issue there that that is funded with property taxes, that particular portion. And so the governor's latest proposal is to still retain part of that cut, which would amount to like $33 million in property tax cuts, but not to totally do away with that, the the funding of that portion, but just cutting it basically in half. Superintendents recently interviewed by KMA News expressed concerns over the proposal. David Goot is superintendent of the Fremont Mills and Stanton School Districts. Goot says the governor's amended proposal differs little from that proposed in her condition of the state address last week. I know the governor's trying to give us uh, more flexibility with the money that comes our way. Now it currently just flows through to to the AAs, which is good in thought, but uh, some of those services are probably going to cost us more money than what our flow-through dollars uh, would amount. So there's concerns there, uh, what that ultimately looks like. Good says rural school districts would face difficulties in obtaining services currently provided by the AAs. He cites school psychologists to assist districts in writing IEPs. Depending on the services written in the IEP, whether it be occupational therapy, physical therapy, you know, speech services, we're not a big enough district in either place to obviously to have that person, you know, full time. So then you're looking at consortiums if the AA is not providing that with other districts. And what does that look like? Uh, how does it go? Goop believes legislators should slow down and garner input from local school districts over any proposed AEA changes. AHSTW Superintendent Darren Jones is among school officials talking to lawmakers about the proposed changes. Conversations that I've had with legislators, uh, they understand what's at stake here, and um, especially with the uh, members of the House of Representatives that I've spoken with, they they understand what's at stake here and, and the potential loss of services. For school districts, uh, if AEAs were to be 
modified to the extent that is being proposed. Jones says the changes will put Iowa's smaller districts at a disadvantage. If the changes were to occur, small rural school districts would not be able to replicate those surfaces to the extent that they are provided, which would lead to small consortiums being built between school districts. And it'll just make it more difficult to get the same type of services to, to, to Iowa kids. Though the bill remains stalled in the Iowa House, lawmakers expected some version will make it out of committee before the legislature's first funnel deadline Friday. Stay tuned to KMA News for further developments on this issue as it progresses. Lawmakers are also concerned about other issues at the Statehouse, including restrictions on the Iowa Department of Natural Resources property acquisition procedures. Senate Study Bill 3129 would prevent the Iowa DNR from bidding on private land at auction and from acquiring the land from conservation organizations that obtained it as a competitive manner, with some proponents of the bill arguing it would prevent the state from competing with young farmers attempting to get into the industry. State Senator Tom Shipley is a member of the subcommittee recently recommending the bill's passage. The Nottoway Republican says the legislation would simply reinforce policies already on the books for the Iowa DNR. The DNR already does do that. They have that in their policy. This simply puts it into code that they cannot buy land at an auction to compete against private citizens. They also cannot accept land that's been bought at private at auction from a non-governmental organization, a non-profit, that type of thing. Opponents of the bill, including the Iowa Conservation Alliance, took issue with the competitive manner language suggesting it was broad and could eliminate land transfers from not-for-profit organizations to the DNR altogether. However, Shipley called the accusations of restricting what individuals or groups can do with their land absolutely false. You can sell your land to whoever you want to. You can sell it to the DNR Uh, Natural Heritage Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, whatever. You can sell your land to whoever you want. And, but that's kind of been the way it's been spun, that they can't do that, and that's simply not true. A similar bill on the Iowa House failed to gain support of a subcommittee with lawmakers citing ambiguous wording and what they believe to be infringements of private property rights. While still unsure of how it would specifically be amended, Shipley expects further discussions to tweak the definition of competitive manner. We'd have to sit down with all the people involved, the DNR and and probably Natural Heritage Foundation. We'll, we'll talk with all the players in it and, uh, and see what we can come up with to make it get a better def- definition of competitive manner. Right now, I don't know what that looks like, but uh, that's kind of where we'd be. The Iowa Farm Bureau Federation and the Iowa Cattlemen's Association are among the organizations supporting the bill. This year's legislation follows a proposal passed in the Senate last year but stalled in the House that would have prioritized the DNR maintaining current state wildlife areas, parks, and public trails over new acquisitions. Some KMA land senators are among those opposing the bill addressing border security and foreign aid in Congress. By a 50-49 to 49 vote Wednesday, the U.S. Senate defeated a bill designed to toughen security along the U.S. southern border as well as provide financial support to both Israel and Ukraine in their continued conflicts. Ernst joined fellow Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley in voting against the bill. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Ernst says her vote against the $118 billion package was procedural. It's a lot of procedural votes that we go through in the United States Senate. So my vote is one where we didn't move on to the bill because we do have more to do. 
And Ernst says the bill's defeat isn't a reflection on Oklahoma Senator James Lankford, who worked with the Biden administration to craft the bill. I think he actually has done an incredible job. He really worked well, given that we are a minority here in the United States Senate, on trying to make changes to asylum laws, to be able to deport people sooner, you know, to make sure that we're not bringing illegals into the country, just catching and releasing them. The Red Oak Republican also believes misinformation led to the bill's defeat. She cites misleading numbers on migrants allowed into the country as an example. One of the provisions that was in the Senate package that people got very confused about was this 5,000 number. And so many of my colleagues said that legitimizes turning loose 5,000 illegal migrants into the United States every day. And it doesn't. That is uh, actually a lie. That is a, um, an absolute um, misinterpretation, maybe would be a softer way of putting it. Um, but it is intellectually dishonest to say that we would be allowing 5,000 people a day into the United States. Nebraska Senators Pete Ricketts and Deb Fisher also voted against the measure. Ricketts explained his opposition with reporters in a press conference Wednesday before the vote, saying the proposal didn't go far enough. I cannot support this bill. This bill does not stop President Biden or any other president from abusing the law and granting mass parole to illegal aliens. Last year, President Biden gave parole to 1.2 million people crossing the border illegally. Under President Trump and Obama, that average was about 5,600 per year. Among other things, the bill would have created a new emergency authority to restrict border crossings if daily average migrant encounters reach 4,000 over a one-week span codify a policy that requires the government to process at least 1,400 asylum applications at ports of entry when the emergency authority is triggered and expedite the asylum process from years to six months. However, Ricketts took issue with how an emergency authority could end. Even if the emergency is lasting all year long, it limits how many days the emergency is there. And not only that, it allows President Biden to waive the emergency. If it's an emergency, it's an emergency. How can he waive it? And frankly, he's not doing his job now. How can we trust him not just to waive this the first thing? The bill, which would also have raised the legal standard of proof to pass an initial screening for asylum, had gathered the support of the National Border Patrol Council, a union of frontline border patrol agents. However, Ricketts says the same union also sent a letter to Senator Lindsey Graham Wednesday about ways to improve the legislation. He cites the need for improvements as another reason for his opposition to the bill, despite the council's support. That the emergency really ought to be more like 1,000, not 5,000, that we actually really need to detain people and not have this non-custodial detention, whatever that means, and that finally putting a cap on how many people are on the parole. So the National Border Council is saying, yes, this bill can be improved. So I think what we need to do is vote this bill down and continue to negotiate and see if we can get a better bill. Republicans' opposition to the measure comes despite the GOP majority demanding border security be tied to any foreign aid. At least one candidate is running for Atchison County Sheriff. A 1987 Tarkio High School graduate, Andrew Riley, joined the U.S. military and graduated from the Military Law Enforcement Academy in 1991. Retiring after 20 years of service, Riley joined the Greene County Sheriff's Office in 2008 as a commissioned deputy in the Corrections Division before serving as an Atchison County Sheriff's Deputy from 2010 to 2018. Currently, Riley lives in Tarkio and serves as an Ottawa County Sheriff's Deputy and Narcotics Investigator. He previously served as the South Ward Alderman for the Tarkio Board of Aldermen. Riley 
Riley says he was driven to run for sheriff to help address the county's drug issues and make Atchison County a safer place. Where there's a lot of drug issues, there's a lot of theft issues. And I feel that my leadership can guide the deputies we have to put a hindrance on it and go after the, the issues that we need to make it more secure for our for our kids to grow. Riley says he's also committed to implementing proactive policy strategies, improving emergency response time to the county and crimes against children, which he notes has been on the rise since 2020. Riley says he would also like to ensure every sheriff's office employee receives as much training as possible. Riley has also been involved with a multi-jurisdictional organization designed to assist regional agencies with solving drug and theft crimes. Uh, Riley was one of two challengers running against Sheriff Dennis Martin in 2020, an election won by Martin. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.